It's Dr. Sue's Podcast with me, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm here with my uh, protege, uh, Kimberly Durden. I, that cracks me up when you say that. I'm like, I'm your protege? You are my protege. When did that happen? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. No, protege is But like, I feel like you're going to teach me how, like, how to be an OB or something when you say that. No, you know? do you really think that? I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm like, you probably know more about being an OB than a lot of OBs know about being an OB. <laughs> right. I don't do surgery, so. No, I don't. Eat, I don't do surgery either no, anymore. You used so, to, but you used I do to. breach deliveries and mm. and stuff like that. Well, see, you, you know more than most OBs about breach correct. deliveries. That's Look correct. at that. And we're here with producer John, and we are at uh, drstewspodcast.com, or you can find us on iTunes. Jeez, uh, the, the introduction ran out before I finished all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk faster, talk faster. Uh, um, you can uh, write me at askdrstew@gmail.com. I love getting your mail. Uh, comments are sometimes repeated online, but they're always read and always responded to. And uh, you can like us on, you find us on iTunes too. Um, you can get us on your app, your um, podcast app, and oh, then cool. you, it'll pop up. Sure. Oh, that's cool. Yep, it works because <laughs> I have it on my phone. Oh, nice. You listen to the and podcast? And then you refresh it and anything new, will, new ones will just pop up on your phone. Oh, nice. Right. Uh, so what are we talking about here? Well, let's see. We're going to talk about today, we got... Uh, we, we have an agenda, all right? I you did, have an agenda. I did an agenda. Well, everyone see. has an agenda. But I, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're right here in the uh, agenda. We're going to talk a little bit about um, a couple of articles that I've read in both uh, the Wall Street Journal, the Toronto Star, the American Journal of OBGYN, and uh, a thing from Judicial Watch. We can get through all these things today because they're very interesting topics. Some of them hit home personally for me. Okay. Um, but this one's more of a generic topic, and it sort of reaffirms something that we've talked about a long, a long time. This is from the Toronto Star, and it's um, headlined, uh, Too Many Medical Procedures on Women Aren't Necessary. All right? Now, Kimmy and I are looking at each other going like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> I mean, duh. But it's nice when, it, when a major newspaper puts this out, and they're talking a little bit of, this is all about the Canadian healthcare system and the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology in Canada, or the SOGC. And I'm going to read a little bit from it here, just from the beginning. Um, they say that so, uh, OBGYNs have launched a campaign to reduce care that is unnecessary, can sometimes cause harm, and cost the health care system. And I think this is brilliant, because obviously the, you know, Canada has a national health care system, and lowering costs is certainly a benefit to everyone without diminishing quality, and there's ways to do that. And this was just a talk about... Um, uh, what what they can do uh, in Canada with as far as women's health goes. And this was written by uh, George Carson, Wendy Levinson. I want to give them uh, uh, credit where credit is due. Interestingly enough, there were um, over 350,000 babies born in hospitals across the country last year. Isn't it interesting to Which think... Which country? This is Canada. Okay. So it's interesting to think of that because we have about 4 million here. Mm. So you really can see that we are about, what, 12 times bigger mm, in population, bigger. which again makes every problem that we have in healthcare like 12 times more difficult. Right. So, um, you know, that's why people who want to just instantly apply the Canadian healthcare system to uh, America is going to have a little bit of trouble with that. He's pointing in your direction, John. <laughs> I'm just waving, John. I'm just You're waving. kind of waving at John because John no, was talking about Canadian health care. So it'd be, I, I got the it'd body It would be easier to have health care for a family of five than it would be for a, for a city of five million. So, okay, never mind. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I have to, John doesn't have a microphone, so this is great. So I can say whatever I want, and he can't respond. Okay. And I'll give and, you a blow-by-boat. Blow and the, mo and the most common in-hospital surgery performed in Canada with 100,000 performed annually. I'm going to give John a question. John, what would be the most common surgery performed in a hospital 
that has 350,000 babies women. on women uh, of reproductive age. C-section. Yeah. I thought I was going to guess that too. If he, if, he, if he got that wrong, that just means, you know what, he's, he's like... Uh, He's like uh, doodling or something during our podcast <laughs> because he has to sit here and listen to all our stuff. He should know these things. Yes, that's correct, John. Very good. Ding, 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 ding. So one in three women. Go ahead. I never knew what a V-back was before this podcast. <laughs> Is that, yeah. Well, there's probably a lot of things you didn't know about. How, how about how about nipple stimulation? Did you know about that? Oh, maybe you did. Yeah, you did know about that. You right? knew about that. Okay, that's true. <laughs> all guys know about that. No, but anyway, um, these. <laughs> <laughs> I, totally, I totally beat red right now. It's really funny. Okay. So look, the so one in three women, well, one in, one in, one in three to four women have right, a. Right, so a, 20, 30%. Basically, thirty. Well, their C-section rate is still better than the U.S. Slightly, it's slightly better than the U.S. Okay, mm-hmm. but it's still like five times higher than it was forty years yeah. ago. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right, here's another important fact. All right, I'm reading from the article. A recently released report from the Canadian Institute of Health found that up to thirty percent of all health care provided offers no value to patients. Okay. I'll repeat that. I up heard to thirty percent of all mm-hmm. health care provided. Offers no value to patients. Well, wait, are you sure this isn't fake news? Uh, well, it certainly could be <laughs> fake news. It cert- okay, it, so, to, so to, what, to what are you referring to, Kimberly? What's the source? <laughs> What's the s- <laughs> it's the source of these two writers uh, from the Toronto Star. I'm well, sure that this, the source is actually sor- cited here. I just, I think I, s- I skipped over it. Hang on, I can find it for you. So what what are the unnecessary procedures? Well, C-section, well, could, be, C-section could be in there, Well, possibly. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to okay, it. Okay, so, okay. Uh, okay, so the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology of Canada, or SOGC, recently joined Choosing Wisely Canada, a clinician-led campaign to reduce unnecessary care. And they said the 10 things physicians and patients should question. Okay, and they came out with a recommendation of 10 things. Now, they don't go through all 10 here, but... Oh. The list includes unnecessary tests and procedures in labor and delivery and gynecological care that, that apply to us. I mean, I'm not really talking about orthopedic stuff or anything. I'm really looking at yeah. essentially stuff that applies to us. Yeah. Um, and then they talk about a woman named Tracy, and they say such guidelines would have helped Tracy and her care providers. Tracy was pregnant with her second child after a successful, healthy first pregnancy. Her care provider recommended a Doppler study of the umbilical arteries. Why? Okay. Is a normal pregnancy? Yeah, it was normal. Huh. But evidence shows that Doppler studies are helpful only for high-risk pregnancies. Right. In low-risk pregnancies, this in- intervention most often leads to false positives. Right. Okay. But she was told to happen anyway. And so guess what happened to Tracy? She had a C-section probably or well, something well, happened. Well, she had a false positive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Abnormal flow in the umbilical arteries was seen on the ultrasound, and she subsequently underwent multiple ultrasounds and blood tests right. to ensure that the growing baby was safe. She lived in a rural location and had to make several trips to the referral hospital for the assessments. This caused her a great deal of unneeded anxiety yeah. and wasted health care and the patient's own resources that could have been put to better use. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it turns out that all was normal. Tracy had a healthy term baby. The Doppler study was inappropriately applied in this case at a cost to the patient and the healthcare system. And this is why the SG- SOGC recommends Doppler studies be reserved for high-risk patients only. And I would agree with that. We talked in the last podcast about the little growth-restricted baby that right. collaborated with Dr. Crane. And, and I didn't do Doppler studies on that until there was a sign that things right. were not growing well. And sure. then we did them, and then we looked. And that was just a contributing factor. If that had been looked at alone, but the baby had been normal size, it would have sort of been, yeah. okay, well, maybe she'll develop preeclampsia, or maybe she'll sure. develop growth restriction. But now we're going to 
over test this woman mm-hmm. and and right. that, and and then there's the unquant uh, the, the the cost that you can't quantify like right. anxiety right and stress right. or or her traveling costs or her yeah i mean she probably had to get lunch on the way there because however long it took her to get there and all those things maybe even find child care for her children for all the different studies which you know by the way when you're doing doppler studies they don't usually let kids in there because it's it's kind of well, anyway. yeah Right. Second one was episiotomy, which is a nice nice that they're singling this one out. They said that uh, evidence now shows that preemptive cut can lead to increased pain, longer periods of healing, and potential complications down the road. Yeah, well, you mean to tell me that they're still doing episiotomies routinely in Canada? Probably not necessarily routinely, but they're probably doing it over, 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 overly. Yeah. Well, because they can charge for that. Well, and sometimes it, I don't know that they can charge. Why? For that. What do you think about it? I think it's a global fee. I don't think they can charge. For oh, okay. It. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, All right. So unnecessary. But it's, they were talking about just not, they were talking about unnecessary procedures that were yeah. also always talking about yeah. costs. Yeah. Okay. And they said sometimes an emergency episiotomy is needed, but it should not be done routinely. Right. Right. But, well, uh, that's true. Okay. Um, SGOC goes on to say uh, they in their list they include not doing Pap smears for detection of cervical cancer. For women under the age of 21 right. or over the age of 70. Right. All right. There's no reason for doing pap smears on mm-hmm. those people. Mm-hmm. Now, if a woman becomes sexually active at age 15, mm-hmm. that's a slightly different story. And then mm-hmm. you can individualize your, your care. Right. Because they're more at risk when they're very young cervixes with rapidly, cervixes with rapidly dividing cells mm-hmm. uh, to have HPV exposure be propagated into cervical dysplasia and precancerous changes. So they should be uh, surveyed. But once a woman... Beyond age even 45 or 50, if they're in a monogamous relationship the li- a, 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 and the fact that their cervix isn't changing over itself very rapidly, the chance of that woman be developing HPV-related cervical disease is slim to none. Right. Um, I would su- I'm surprised they used age 70 here. I mean, I think that even over age 50, if they're, mm-hmm. you know, again, individualizing your care. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Routine cervical cancer screening for women in these age groups hasn't been shown to provide any benefit, but mm-hmm. high false positive rates lead to more investigations sure. and potential harm. Screening for ovarian cancer in low-risk women has also been shown to cause more harm than good. All right? You know, it's interesting that when they say these sorts of things, because, you know, although, although albeit it's late in arriving, these recommendations and mm-hmm. these things in the newspaper, it's always good being nice being affirmed, because this is, sounds like stuff that we've said on the podcast I mean, I was I years. was wondering. I'm like, when was this written? Because I this is like to me, it's like sounds like this kind of information has been out for a really long time. But you know, it doesn't it doesn't permeate in uh, percolate right. down into the right. um, major most of the hospitals and doctors who've been doing things a certain way, right? Or they do things in a way because the protocol has been designed to prevent prevent liability or what they right. per, or the perceived liability, right? Because I think liability is blown way out of proportion too. Exactly. Um, Anyway, so that goes on and says, in medicine as in life, more than not always, more is not always better. The best medicine is based on evidence and choosing wisely. Common sense, my God. Uh, <laughs> this is how we can improve. Uh, well, who, who, who's, who needs to have the common sense? Because if they're the, if you're the woman, again, let's go back to, uh, we are taught to trust these authority figures, these doctors. They know what's best for us. That's what we're taught. Listen to your doctor. Go to your doctor. And whatever your doctor says, you should do that. And so if we go to our doctor, and we're using our common sense, I should go to the doctor. We go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you should get a pap smear next time you come in or whatever the case may be. I mean, do we question? Do we Do we say? No, no we don't. So who's the one that needs to have the common sense? Are you saying that the, the 
the clients, the patients need the common sense, everybody or is it the can, doctors? Everybody and, benefits from common sense. And the, I think um, I think what's hard is when you have a system that's set up a certain way, I think it goes back to that. It becomes very hard to individualize care. Um, and also, I wonder, because of the insurance coverage or the health care coverage that there is provided in Canada, if you know that this procedure is going to get covered regardless, then are you more likely to suggest it? Or are you just kind of like, well, it's going to get covered, let's do it. I mean, I hear people do that all the time. Yeah, it's going to get covered, so let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not going to cost you anything. Yeah, it's not going to cost you anything. Right. So let's just go ahead. Let's just go ahead and do it. We'll just be on the safe right, side. Always a little needle stick, and, and yeah, and then we're done. Be on the safe no side. No big deal. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, but it does cost. Everything costs money. Everything costs yeah. somebody uh, money. It's we, a, you know, it's I a, don't it's think a, people look at it that way though. Well, it it is interesting, and it, but when you when you become liberated from sort of the financial and the paperwork burdens uh, and the liability burdens and concerns of working with insurance companies and stuff like that. And you get what you you get a fair price for your work. Mm -hmm. You're freed up to make decisions that you know maybe common sense is related to the, the freedom. Because <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. If I'm only being paid thirty dollars for an annual visit, all right, and a woman comes to see me, I'm going to tell her she needs to come in next year. Right. Okay? Right. All right. But if I'm paid one hundred fifty dollars for an annual visit, mm -hmm. I don't have as much qualm about telling that woman, you know what. You're 34 years old. You're monogamous, blah, blah, blah. If something changes, you come in sooner. Otherwise, you come back in two years. Right? Right. right. I, I think that's, you know, that is ethically the right thing to do. It follows the evidence-based stuff. And, it, and it's been seen over and over again that the routine gynecological exam in, in healthy women rarely, rarely finds anything wrong. <laughs> Almost 95 to 99% of the stuff that we find wrong, people come in complaining of something. Mm -hmm. It's ex almost... Never do you happen to do a pelvic exam and find a very large mass that the woman wouldn't have had symptoms on. Right. It does happen. It's happened in my career. And, I, and so you have to you know, justify it's, it's Right. Uh, it, do you do a thousand pelvic exams to pick up right. one? Well, I mean, that's the thing. When you talked about ovarian cancer screening, I mean, it's, it's from what I understand, um, it is devastating uh, to have ovarian cancer. And, and it had not been screened routinely in women. And so when women were coming up with ovarian cancer... It was like, wow, we need to have a better way to screen for this. And so, you know, now that that is available or more available, we're, ovarian cancer, it, there's not a high percentage of women. I don't know the percentages, Stu, but I know that it's not a huge percentage of women that come up with ovarian cancer. But um, when it needs to be diagnosed early, from what I understand. And so the, you do have to kind of figure out, well, maybe this is, is that a good thing that we're screening more women? I mean, well, okay, let's, let's talk about that because be. I got strong opinions on that. First of all, uh, ovarian cancer um, is the problem with it is it's usually caught late and then survival sucks. Right. So th they have come up with screening things, but the problem with the screening things, like the very popular one that goes around the internet and stuff, is a CA125. Right. A CA125 is a blood test, and if it's above a certain level, I think the level is 35 in most labs. Um, that's indicative of some inflammatory process going on. Something's going on that maybe warrant further investigation. The problem, of course, is that. There are far more benign things that cause a slight elevation of a CA125 than, than ovarian cancer. Okay. Just any sort of inflammatory process like colitis mm -hmm. or endometriosis mm -hmm. or fibroids mm -hmm. or anything like that will, can often cause an elevated CA125, slightly mm -hmm. elevated. Mm -hmm. So now you have an elevated, slightly elevated CA125 in a woman who is perfectly healthy mm -hmm. with no family history of ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. And what happens to her brain, her mind? 
She now yeah, she's is freaking out. worried. She's mm. now anxious. Mm. So that leads to a vaginal ultrasound, and mm-hmm. that leads to annual screening, and that leads to the idea that maybe when I'm, you know, 45 years old, I'll have my ovaries removed. And uh, uh, this is all not not it's unnecessary unless you're the one woman who gets ovarian cancer, and then maybe maybe you, you save. But but again, nothing. There's no perfect system. There's no yes. zero sum game. There's always going to be. Um, either a cost or a loss there, there just is and so you have to you have to use common sense but we can't be driven by fear because that's no way to live it's just no way to live at all and they've come up with other tests there's a test called oval one which looks at other proteins and other things like that and puts it all together and gives you a percentage but a, a percentage risk but a percentage of what it's very confusing so right. now you have a test that's slightly elevated so you have closer surveillance and maybe that's okay but again, how do you select a person? Do you do a routine screening on all women? Yeah, because I mean, by doing that, you're going to come up with, like in the other test that the Canadian study talked about, you're going to come yeah. up with all kinds of false positives yeah. and all kinds of uh, uh, testing. And and we have a system that's already strained. Yeah. Well, and you and I off the off, we off before we started recording time. We had we had our discussion a little bit about healthcare and stuff like that. And we all agree that you know the costs are going up for everybody. We don't know what the solution is, but we all know that we're looking at our insurance premiums, looking at that sort of stuff. It's going up like crazy. At some point. It's gonna bull. It's gonna. It's gonna break. So yeah. we have to all come together and say, okay, we can't all have everything at unlimited cost because it just is. It just isn't gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. I mean, and I just uh, I remember listening to uh, they were talking about something similar with screenings for like lung cancer, uh, cat scans, coming up with these cat scans. They scan stuff and they see this little dark spot and they're like, okay, you might have lung cancer, and it's so few people who actually have it. But the tests that they have to continuously go through for um, from, you know, these little spots that they see on the CAT scan, they can't quite tell what it is, and it's also similar things happening in other aspects of healthcare. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, just on a sidetrack of that, when you mentioned like getting a like a, a total CAT, CAT scan, I was, I don't know, I can't remember where I, re- where I heard this from. I mean, either I read it. I don't think we've talked mm-hmm. about it on the podcast before, no. but it was about a a story that that someone had posted on Facebook or something that. That uh, where the, a, ch- a two-year-old child had broken its leg. Mm-hmm. Did I, have you heard this story before? I know, but tell me. Tell okay, me. so yeah. a two-year-old child broke his leg. So they took the like the ER, and the and the doctors came to the parents and they said, "We have to do a total body CT scan." Okay, now a total body CT scan has radiation in it. Mm-hmm. All right, and you're giving it to a two-year-old. So do you know why they needed to do a total body CT scan in a, in a little no. girl that broke its leg? Why, John? Do you have an inkling? Okay, because. The government policy was that you have to prove that there it's not child abuse, so you have to look for f- signs of old fractures. Wow! So even if the girl was witnessed falling off her bicycle and breaking her leg, they still have to do this. Government mandates. So this is when you start getting government involved in right. your life, and government you'll get free government health care. Then the government can dictate what kind. Of, no, you know what? This was from Sweden. This was from Got Sweden, it. not not anywhere. That's else. Uh, yes. I read right. this story someplace. Yes, it's, it's, it's in my so again. So now you're you're exposing these kids to all this extra testing, all right? And maybe they maybe the kid fractured a finger or something else a year ago. Now you've got two fractures in a little kid. Now you got social services and, and uh, child yeah. protective services yeah. down your ass. Yeah. And yeah. and and is that okay? Is it okay to expose every child to this because you might pick up one case? Where is the cost benefit ratio? And who decides? And that's that's the, those decides? are the big questions that yeah. none of us have any answers for. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, um, moving on to another topic, which is uh, dear and weird us. We always talk about vaccines and stuff like that. We've talked about it many times before. I got a letter uh, recently um, from the American College of OBGYN. It's my college. Um, 
who I agree with on some stuff, and they do some good work, but they also uh, put out some stupid stuff. <laughs> um, and this is about uh, flu vaccine, okay? So do you know what the current ACOG recommendation is for flu vaccine in pregnancy? They want to give it to pregnant women. Yes. Yeah. Every pregnant woman. Mm -hmm. Okay. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends that all individuals six months and older receive a flu shot every year. <laughs> okay. Bad. So they're not even talking about pregnant women here. They're talking about all individuals. All individuals six, six months, months and, and older. older. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So I did, a little, I did a little highlighting through here and it says this. Our recommendation and offer is the most effective way to increase influenza immunization rates among adults and in particular pregnant women. Um, if your patient does not accept your recommendation initially, continue to offer her the flu shot on subsequent office visits. <laughs> okay. Badger her ass. Badger her. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You know what? Well, I, on I, the I look for the word badger in here. I didn't see it. <laughs> I look for the coercion in here. I didn't see it either. But. Look, and th again, that's your doctor. Trust him. Trust your doctor. Listen to your doctor. Right. I know I asked you last month, but are you sure you don't want to get that flu vaccine? Okay, anyway, yeah. go home. Go so ahead. they go on and say, uh, basically, and then it says, set an example for your patients by yourself getting, <laughs> and all of your <laughs> office for one. staff getting, for one. <laughs> getting, uh, getting flu vaccinated. So ACOG <laughs> is recommending that every person older than six months in the United States get a flu but vaccine. But they said that it was the only benefit that it incre increases vaccine uh, Im uh, immunization rate of flu vaccine because what's the benefit uh well i'm gonna get to that because i got two other handouts here they really talk about the benefit of it i guess i guess it's, 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 it's it increases get, the rate of immunization you're, you're that's the benefit you're, you're, you're less likely to get a really bad case of a specific flu if they happen to have the right flu <laughs> for your region in the, in the vaccine for your region right okay so i i, I they they send along with this two handouts and this is i mean acog is doing a public service they think they're doing what's right but i just I, the whole yeah, the whole totalitarian stinks. nature when they say everyone they don't you know it's it's like they don't have any individuality at all and yeah. I, I understand they don't mean to people that react badly to it or people that shouldn't have it but they're basically saying every baby should get a flu shot yeah once a year right it's ridiculous you know and I you know I've never had one in my life neither I have I John have you ever had a flu shot you probably get them no you you don't, no, no, don't okay. okay so producer John says he doesn't get them either so we're in violation of ACOG's recommendation <laughs> just want you to know that. Okay. Lord have mercy. So, um, here's some here's some points they make they point out about it. Okay, pregnant women who get the flu shot can become much sicker than women who get the flu shot when they are not pregnant. Okay, wait, say that again. Pregnant women. Well, the question is like these are frequently asked questions, and the oh, question is how dangerous is the flu shot in pregnant women? So, when pregnant women can, who get the flu can be much sicker than pregnant women who don't get the flu. So. I mean, because they're sick because they me. have the flu. <laughs> no, no, no. I said that wrong. Pregnant women who get the flu can get much sicker than non-pregnant women who get the flu. Got it. So they say pregnant women should definitely have it. So then the next question is, I am pregnant. Should I get the flu shot? <laughs> what do you think their answer is going to be? Of course you should get Let's it. Let's take a vote. John, what do you think it's going to be? Yeah, they're going to say yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. going to say yeah. I hope they can of hear you. Of course. Um, Frequently asked questions. Okay. <laughs> this, this is fake news. The flu shot given during pregnancy helps protect... Uh, infants younger than six months. Oh, you want to give it to pregnant women so they can pr protect their newborn babies because they obviously can't get the flu shot till they're six months. So that's even though they're breastfeeding and getting all mom's antibodies and right. stuff like that, they got to be protected from the flu shot. Right. Um, so they just, mm, mm, mm. Pregnant women can get the flu shot at any point during the flu season, typically October through May, which is sort of why I'm bringing it up now since we're yeah. coming on September here. I thought I'd bring this up at this topic. All right, the next question would be, during which trimester is it safe to have a flu shot? What do you think? Any trimester. 
The flu shot is to be given at any time during pregnancy. Uh-huh. Okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, which flu vaccine should pregnant women get? The inactivated influenza vaccine that is given with a needle. Do not take the oral vaccine because it has live, live virus. attenuated virus in it or live virus and you don't do that. So if you're going to get the flu shot, listeners, um, make sure it's the shot. Not, not the... That's why they call it the flu shot, I guess, right? <laughs> flu vaccine, I mean. <laughs> I didn't uh, even know they had a, a live vaccine really one. Silly, yeah. I, is it, so you take it orally? You drink it orally. Huh. Drink some live flu virus. Okay. Here. You here's want what, some, John? Here's when I got <laughs> to ask you guys what you think about this. The next question is, will the flu shot give me the flu? People, lots of people say, I never got the flu, and then I got the flu shot, and I got so sick. I hear it. Well, ACOG, ACOG says, no, you cannot get the flu from receiving the flu shot. Well, that, that's what they say. Of course they say that. But that's what I've, I've heard people say. I thought you get sick right after you get the shot or something like that. You can like get that, fever no? and injection site. Yeah, you can get you can get flu, but maybe you can't get the flu. The maybe flu you just, itself. Maybe you just get some terrible other disease some like, other disease. like Guillain-Barre, <laughs> Guillain-Barre syndrome or something. I don't know. But you can't get the flu. <laughs> Unless they're wrong with the flu, you know, you can't get it from the vaccine. You can't get that particular flu, but you can get a different flu. That's what happens. A lot of people will get a different strain. So the next question is a good one. I got the flu shot. Why did I still get sick? Strain. Yeah. Yeah. Good, John. I said it. The flu shot also does not (laughs) protect against the the credit. I said that. It doesn't protect against the common cold. So you may get a cold even though you received the flu vaccine. And most people don't know the difference between the flu and a cold. Yeah. Right. One's a virus, one's a... Um... They're both viruses. Yeah, they're both viruses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. They're both viruses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in addition... they give you antibiotics for... They don't give you they, antibiotics for a cold. They, they shouldn't. No. Like, no. I guess it's strep and stuff like that. They shouldn't. Yeah. yeah, that's bacterial. That's different. But a lot of times they'll give antibiotics for, the, for a cold because... Oh, this gets me... This gets back to a, a great study where they, they looked at doctors... Women came in with, a, with a, a cold... And one doctor would spend 20 minutes with them discussing why they don't need bacteria, they don't need antibiotics, that they need, um, you know, vitamin C and rest and fluids mm-hmm. and chicken soup. Right. All right. And chicken soup. And the other doctor would spend three minutes with them and write them a prescription for erythromycin or mm-hmm. antibiotic. <laughs> and then they surveyed the women afterwards and thought, who, are the be- who was the better doctor? And the majority of women said the doctor who wrote a prescription is the better doctor. Well, yeah, they went all the way to the doctor. They, they, they want to come something. away with something. Right. You know, they don't want somebody to tell them to go home and you drink chicken soup right and get for placebo, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, it also says you, low-grade fevers, headaches, and muscle aches can com- can unlo- uncommonly occur as reactions to the flu shot. All right, so they're, they're saying that's not the flu, but you can get sick. That answers the previous question. Okay. Okay. Are preservatives in flu vaccines safe for my baby? Right. What do you think? What do you think? Acog. Well, they said. Well, they probably didn't answer right out and say yes. They probably said there hasn't been any studies done to say that they're not safe. Thimerosal is a mercury-containing preservative used in very small amounts in some flu vaccines. There is no, I repeat, no scientific evidence that thimerosal causes problems for pregnant women or children. Born to women who received thimerosal-containing vaccines during pregnancy. Right. That's what I basically. That's what I meant. Is that they were going to say that there's not any evidence that there's any harm. But if you look at other resources, there's lots of evidence that there's harm. Well, they didn't. Well, they're not talking about those because they didn't look. They're not. They they're not including those. it. Don't those. look over there. That that's not. We don't talk about that stuff over there. Right. So for people, by the way, who want an alternative view, I did a little research, and uh, there's lots of things out there. There's the truth about vaccine. Um, uh, series that's you can uh, just Google truth about vaccines and you can watch that. 
But also, I have a dear colleague of mine who who's, she is a psychiatrist, but writes about very healthy living. Her name is Kelly Brogan. And if you go to Kelly Brogan, that's B-R-O-G, it's Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, B-R-O-G-A-N-M-D.com. And you can look up and you can find out what her comments are about the vaccines. And it will basically put ACOG to shame. Hmm. The ACOG, have you even, has even ACOG read the inserts in the vaccines? Because that's always surprising too. People are starting to really. Oh, they're going to poo-poo the package Read the inserts. The inserts are written by lawyers. You know that. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> Right. You just kind of just take that uh, info away or just put well, that over talk here about, in the trash. We're going to talk about something dear to my heart in, 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 in just a couple minutes regarding okay. that. Okay. And then they, um, they also sent out a, a flyer here that talks about frequently asked questions for patients concerning vaccine safety. And then this one says, are vaccines safe for me? Are they safe for my baby? And then it says, vaccines help protect you and your baby from many life-threatening diseases. Most vaccines are safe for you and your fetus to get during pregnancy. For example, flu shots have been given safely to millions of pregnant women for more than 50 years. Okay? Now, again, I just, you know, I don't understand. I, I, I know it's simplistic, and I'm simplistic maybe, but we know that some people react to flu shots. We know that people, some people react to the DTaP, which is also recommended uh, for all yeah, pregnant, for pregnant women. women. Right. Mm -hmm. We know that people do. We know there are rare cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome or or allergic reactions, or development of autoimmune disorder. We know that that happens. There's even a vaccine, vaccine compen injury compensation fund to compensate women who have a problem with that. We'll talk about that because we're going to talk a little bit about HPV next. But, but so I don't understand why ACOG puts this paper out where it says, sure, it's perfectly safe. Tens of millions of women have gotten it. Well, it's kind of funny because they said Is this most. They said most vaccine are safe, but I guess they're going to try to say which ones you shouldn't get in pregnancy. But... But they do say most vaccines are safe, but they don't say that, that what they should say is vaccines can be safe for most people because that would be more honest. It's like it, it probably will be safe for most people, but not we can't guarantee that it's safe for yeah, everybody. Yeah, but they don't make it sound like that. No, they don't. Right, right. And they're, and they're adamant that all women should get flu vaccine. All women should get DTaP. I wouldn't so be now you're giving two... Right. You're giving right. four vaccines, because DTAP has three vaccines in it. Right. So you're giving four vaccines to a fetus. Right. Yep. Who can't possibly catch any of these diseases <laughs> in utero, because it might catch something when it comes out, right. even though it's breastfeeding, right. and its mother's had Probably you know, a tetanus shot right. yeah, exactly. years ago or whatever. Exactly. So I don't know. I just don't know why there's why vaccines have become so... It can't just be because vaccine manufacturers are pushing this stuff. I mean, you can only bribe so many people. You can only mm -hmm. have so much propaganda. So I just don't understand the militancy. For money. I think it's money. Who's making money? Who, whoever. I don't know. I don't know. But besides much the pharmaceutical more money, company, who makes much the money? More, well, pharmaceutical companies are big, big corporations that employ people and people make money. And you know what? You think about just that recommendation being put out. How many millions more women are going to get vaccinated? And, and, and then follow the money i mean that's a whole lot of money we're just talking about one segment of society and vaccines are being pushed for everyone now we were talking about child well, you can't, vaccines you can't, you but can't now get a but now you, it's the yeah. it's it's adults you can't walk into a school you can't get a job everyone they want everybody to be injected. and that's what i'm saying why now what happened because of uh, what do you think john because of a measles outbreak in, what do you in think Disneyland? John? he's not john's like I don't, yeah. no comment john's zoning yeah. all right um <laughs> and then the, and the last the last thing they talk about is 
Uh, and again, this is right out of ACOG's brochure. It's printed. I'm reading it just as it's verbatim. I have heard that some va vaccines have mercury in them. Is it safe to get these vaccines during pregnancy? And their comment is, it is only present in trace amounts in certain versions of the flu vaccine. It has not been shown to be harmful to pregnant women or fetuses. It does not cause autism. It's not like not even a question mark there or like, like anything. But it does not cause autism. All right. What so, do you want to say about that? I, because you've been watching a lot of the documentaries and things that have been out. So I'm saying you, it's more than coincidental that there are women uh, families who will, who go on camera who say my kid was perfectly fine until he got his mm -hmm. MMR vaccine at mm -hmm. uh, at 18 months or mm -hmm. something like that, and mm -hmm. then he was never the same. He got mm -hmm. a high fever the next day, and now he just stares off into space. Mm -hmm. He doesn't play with his toys. Uh, you know, I don't care that they that it's very rare, but they make a statement. Yeah. It does not cause autism. Right. Okay. How can they be so sure? How can they be? I mean, I, I'd love to have that certainty. It'd be great to be that certain of anything, but I'm not that certain of it. And that, and that it's a sort of, uh, it's one of those things that just drives me a little bit um, I think, over the deep end. I think we can all agree that, that that's definitely drives us a lot of us on the deep end. But then again, there are some of us out there who are like, well, it's been recommended and we need to do what our doctors have deemed safe. And there's a lot of research behind this. And, you know, I trust them. You know, they've gone to school for a long period of time. They know what's best. They're trying to protect our population. And all of you people who think there's something wrong with vaccines, you know, there's or that people are getting sick from it. You know, there's you guys are crazy. Yep. Yeah, you're marginalized. You tend to marginalize people. It's a very it's a good tactic to. Uh, but I just don't understand the motivation of ACOG. I mean, I. Uh, you know, I, I, I would love to believe that these guys aren't on the payroll of some I know large you would love to believe uh, Because that. nobody went into medicine I, with the idea that I'm going to be corrupt. <laughs> you don't know that. How do you know that? You know, that's How true. do you know that's that? Right. I just made a blanket <laughs> statement. Okay. Yeah. Well, you don't know because that. Because if you want to be corrupt, there's a lot better <laughs> professions to get into than besides medicine. <laughs> You're not going to make a million dollars or billions of dollars being corrupt in, in medicine. That's different. That AIDS drug, remember? <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk a little bit. So long, John brought up the pharmaceutical companies, and we're going to continue because my daughter, I have this one that's very sort of personal to me. Um, right. You talked a little bit about package inserts, by the way. I'm going to ask you a question, Kimberly. Have you ever read the package insert for Gardasil? I have not. John, you <coughs> probably don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't because right. uh, I haven't chosen to vaccinate any of my kids for right. that so i okay. haven't needed well, to but recent, recently uh, my daughter made her own decision she's 20 years old and she's the right to make any decision she wants at that level um she wanted to get the gardasil mm -hmm. she said i don't want to get cervical cancer so okay. she's been buying the soap oh uh, you know so drink the kool-aid right that's better that's a better analogy mm -hmm. she's been drinking the kool-aid and and I, it's fine for her and i and i you know look at i mean it's been given to millions of doses and there's very few side effects mm -hmm. and very few but there are there are downsides to it but you know, I, sh I she would not have that conversation with me. She said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Which is interesting because me being an expert in that field, you know, you'd think that maybe she would, you'd like to think that she'd come to you before. Um, she don't she want you telling her what to do. That's right. Yeah. That's right. She's asserting herself. Except when it's time to pay the rent. <laughs> then then she wants me to, then she tells me what to, then she wants me to. She wants you to that. do what she tells right. you, which is bad. And I love my daughter. So she got her Gardasil, but so I went and read the package insert, and it was quite frightening, actually. Well, so what did you glean? Well, I'm going to read a little bit from um, uh, Judicial Watch is a supposedly watchdog group. It's uh, supposedly nonpartisan, mm -hmm. and they look over the government. They try to look at things that the government does, and 
you know, sometimes they they file Freedom of Information Act requests or what are called FOIA requests, or they they'll sue the government because the government isn't coming forth forthcoming. And they they did a little. They've done a lot of research into this Gardasil stuff. And I'm and again, I'm going to quote them as the source. People can take it or leave it, what they believe, mm-hmm. because they, it depends how they believe what, what the motivation of Judicial Watch is. But they certainly uh, they don't make money off of mm-hmm. picking on Gardasil manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they, they talk, the vaccine is called Gardasil, and in the last 10 years, Judicial Watch has uncovered troves of government records documenting uh, its harmful side effects. The, the vaccine was scandalously fast-tracked through the Food and Drug Administration, and was mm-hmm. promoted ardently by the Obama. Well, I don't want to get that. I'm going to skip that part. But it was promoted by the by previous administrations. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It would have been promoted by other. Right. The governor of Texas wanted to do it. And, uh, what's right. His, what's his name? Um, I don't remember, but uh, I know I remember hearing. What's about the governor it. of Texas? Uh, the one. Google. Google it. Google it. <laughs> All right. He, yeah. He's like he's like the secretary of energy now, or something like that. Uh, <sighs> Go ahead. I can't think of his name. Everybody knows his name. All right. Anyway, and he tried to get it demanded in, in Texas, and that you know, in Texas is a. Is a is a red state, so it's not necessarily left or right. It's not a left or right mm-hmm. thing. It's a it's it just gets. Um, but it, but there were thousands of cases of paralysis, convulsions, blindness, and dozens of deaths. Uh, no, before that, the guy before him. <laughs> thousands <laughs> of cases. Yeah. Okay. Out of how many? Oh, I don't know. What? I don't know. What? I don't, I don't Wait, where is this documented? Uh, this says. Um, because I did hear about Gardasil deaths. Of young young women, I think they start trying to give it to you in like 12, 12 or thirteen yeah, years the, old or something. Well, like the that. thousand cases of paralysis, convulsions, blindness, and and dozens of deaths. Unbelievable. Dozens of deaths. Okay, um, and you can check this out by going to Judicial, uh, Judicial Watch's website if uh-huh. you wanted to do that. Uh, it said the government has continued, regardless of this, the government has continued promoting the vaccine while covering up its debilitating side effects, recommending for girls and most recently boys starting at age nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a question I, pro- I wrote in my margin. I wrote why. It says, the U.S. law forbids lawsuits against vaccine manufacturers. Why? Yeah, see, so you put why also. Yeah, it's a good why. Uh, I think it, it, it might have had something to do with after 9-11 when there was a fear of anthrax. Mm. And there was only one anthrax maker. And they knew that three, in, three per million right. people who get an anthrax vaccine will have a serious reaction right. to it. Okay. And so if they were going to make anthrax vaccine... And give it out. They knew that there were going to be. If they give it to 300 million people, that was going to be. Ni- there were going to be what 900, 900 terrible yeah. outcomes. Yeah. And they knew they'd be sued. So I think the government gave them immunity from being sued, not just for anthrax vaccine, but for, for all, all vaccines. vaccines. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's wrong. But if that's the case, if they're so safe, that you know that sort of thing, then Judicial Watch has obtained records from the Department of Health and Human Services revealing that its National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program has awarded nearly $6 million to dozens of victims in claims made against the very HPV vaccine the department is pushing on children. So, you go figure that out. In 2014, a physician who worked for Merck... Interesting, though, because when I'm you're saying $6 million with dozens of people, too, and they're also not getting that much money. No, they're not. I mean, that's no, like... No, because maybe these things are transient, other than the people... And, and, and a dead person isn't worth much. <laughs> at least not in California. Mm, mm. You, know, we, you know about that, right? We no. talked about the oh yeah the the caps on pain and suffering are when you when you have a dead uh, newborn a neonatal death or you know anyway that's another topic mm-hmm. we're looking at each other very sadly right mm-hmm. now 
Um, anyway, there was a whistleblower that came forward, and uh, he said it's an ineffective vaccine with deadly side effects that serves no other purpose than to generate profits for its manufacturing. Now, that sounds a little extreme, too. That does sound kind of extreme. Okay. But you know what? I mean, sometimes you have, you've got hyperbole on one side, you need hyperbole on the other side, but usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. So it isn't perfectly safe, and it's probably not completely worthless. All right? Especially in countries where you have low socioeconomic people, like where it's endemic. Like in Africa, when I when I went with cure cervical right. cancer, or in Vietnam, when I went there, there you know it's it's endemic in the population in certain certain parts of the population, um, especially in like the sex trade in Vietnam, uh, right. that sort of thing. So giving those women vaccines might save their life because they don't have access right. to annual Pap smears right. or twice every other year Pap smears. Right or a Pap smear at all. Right. Potentially. So. Um, because HPV is a virus, correct? So the vaccine is to prevent you from getting certain strange of the HPV yeah, virus. Yeah, right now and I think, that, I think there's eight. It used to be just two, 16 and 18, and now they've added more to the Gardasil. So there's, uh, it might be six or eight different strains. Because then they, the, if you do get HPV, then you're at higher risk for cervical, cervical cancer. If you get some of the, the virulent strains. Right. Right. You're, it makes you at higher risk. It, all, almost all squamous cell cancer of the cervix mm-hmm. is an HPV-related Got it. Uh, thing and lastly i'm going to say um um one of the one of the scary things about it in many states parents aren't even notified because gardasil falls under the sexual and reproductive health care services which certain minors can receive without parental consent and new york is one of those states as well so you know i'm glad my daughter told me but yeah. she didn't have to tell me and her physician, who happens to be uh, somebody I work with, <laughs> wouldn't uh, no. wouldn't have to tell me and shouldn't no. and shouldn't, uh, and be, shouldn't, tell- and shouldn't. shouldn't no. be telling me. No. But as a parent, you know, with a minor child, I mean, don't you? I mean, she's not a minor anymore technically. She's right. over eighteen, so she can do what right. she wants. But I mean, if your fifteen-year-old goes in and the, and the and they vaccinate her in the school, and you don't have the right to know that. Yeah, and that happens all the time. I mean, I, I hear I've heard of a situation like that where a young lady was vaccinated. Um, with the HPV vaccine, and I, I believe one of her parents knew, but the other didn't. So she got, you know, and they didn't, they worked together, and they didn't agree on how it should be done. So, but but what states uh, can they do it without parental consent? Just Oh, New I, York? I don't know. Everybody, every state's going to have to look that up themselves. Okay. Anyway, we're running out of time. Knowing that that's out there is We're important. running out of time, so I just wanted to say that uh, we didn't get to one topic that I wanted to talk to you today, but there's a cute, really cute video that I posted on Dr. Stu's podcast uh, Facebook page called uh, by a guy named Adam. It's called Adam Ruins Pregnancy. And Adam has, <laughs> does a whole bunch of things. But he takes a look at the myth of being age 35 and being old. Oh, cool. And he even, he even I don't know where this guy comes from. Uh, he's a, he's, my, he's, a, he's one of my favorites now because he even talks about the difference between relative risk and actual risk. Oh, wow. In a, in a, in a very cutely made video. So I'd suggest people go to it. I posted it on nice. my Dr. Stuart Fishbein Facebook page. And I also posted it on the Dr. Seuss Podcast Facebook page. But if you just... Uh, Google Adam Ruins, R-U-I-N-S. I don't know if that's his last name, but if it is, it's a great last name <laughs> uh, because he does a lot of Adam Ruins, all kinds of topics. But this one's called Adam Ruins Pregnancy. I'd highly recommend it. Oh, cool. So listen, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good shout um, out. W- and what? That's a good shout out for oh, shout Adam. Out. I thought you said shut up. Adam. I was going <laughs> to shut up. Well, that, now shut up. That was from earlier today. Uh, anyway, <laughs> this has been uh, for Kimberly Durden and John, the uh, producer extraordinaire, who hopefully by now has won a music video award but we really won't know (laughs) but he would have won it by now go john Uh, go john uh we want to thank you for listening and this is again dr stew's podcast uh write me at askdrstew at gmail.com 
Listen, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.